Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Bob Baverly. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. For and folks who... uh, as I told you already, it's a miracle that I'm here because I'm technologically inefficient. <laughs> yes, well, one of the one of the upsides of the global pandemic is it, it seems like everybody knows how to use Zoom now. Yeah, even me. <laughs> so for folks who haven't heard your name before, could you give us a little bit of background? Sure. Um, <laughs> I told Jonathan uh, not to call me Jim because <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an identical twin. That has very much shaped my life. I uh, love my brother, but don't want you to call me Jim. He's actually, you could Google him. He's probably more prominent than me because he's a worldwide recognized cult and religion expert. Wow. And he has, he's been more courageous than me in, in uh, letting his light shine. And the reason I'm on the call today with Jonathan is I, I've really struggled through the years, even though I'm 67, I still haven't arrived. My gravestone reads, I was just getting the hang of it. <laughs> so uh, I've really worked hard to be who I am. Uh, and, and you'll find out today as I talk that I'm very candid about my struggles and I hope you can learn from them. I um, grew up in New Brunswick, Canada, which is north of Maine for those of you who aren't aware of Canada's geography. Um, I ended up being raised in a very conservative Christian circle that was so narrow that, you know, basically me and the seven other Baptists were going to heaven and everybody else was going to hell. Thank God I had non-Christian friends who saved me from some of the lunacy of Christianity. They taught me that music does sound better when you're drinking. At any rate, I ended up going to an evangelical college north of Boston. I ended up going to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, where I studied philosophy and barely knew I existed. I ended up going to Princeton Seminary. And if you've never been to Princeton, make sure you go there. Its campus is European level quality and beautiful, way prettier than Harvard or Yale. No offense to those institutions. And if you go to Princeton, go to Hoagie Haven, best cheesesteak sub in the world. Sorry, Philly friends. After Princeton, I eventually I became a minister, and that's where I learned how to not handle money well. Because if you think, if, if Jonathan thinks it's really crazy to charge by the hour, I'm not sure that's a correct summary, but I'll say it anyway. Just imagine what it's like to be the CEO of a company, and your workers are volunteers, and they can quit at any time. They can lower your salary at any time. And while you're there preaching, some of what you learned cost you $100,000. And people can sit there and pay a buck an hour. So even though I have struggled to get better in my life, I'm way better than a dollar an hour now. So um, I eventually ended up becoming a psychotherapist because I went to therapy because I needed it. And once I saw what really good psychotherapy was, I realized that that's what I wanted to, to be. Uh, is a psychotherapist. So with the background of being a minister, it was hard for me to charge the money that I needed to make ends meet. And it was hard to uh, not just give away stuff, um, give away too much time for free. So it's been a long journey to get to where I am. And, and um, all the big marketing gurus would not be jealous of where I am financially, hour by hour or value by value. But I've really you know, grown a lot. And I'll hope to share some of that with you. Fabulous. Wow. That was great and hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Okay, so the 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 email that you sent or that we exchanged, uh, it said how your question was, how do you think your points of view about hourly billing relate to psychotherapy? And so I, I suppose it's obvious, but maybe you could describe how what what the normal air quotes normal way to, for a psychotherapist to bill for their time or bill for their get paid for what they do, I guess is what I'm trying to say. How do, how do psychotherapists get paid for what they do normally? Well, the normal way makes me look like Dan Kennedy or Tony Robbins because I seem so sane compared to the normal way. Hmm. The normal way is that you get paid by insurance, and that almost always means, as with medical doctors, that your fee is cut and prescribed by the insurance company and how many times you can see a patient is dependent on the insurance rules. I was fortunate and then I never bought into that game because initially, though I had the qualification of talent and skill and training to be certified insurance wise, I didn't fit in their little groove. Plus, if there is a God, maybe he was looking after me because if I lived by insurance, yes, I would be much tremor, but I'd also be dead because I would never send in the insurance forms. (laughs) Because I hate paperwork. So I actually am an outlier, I think. And partly because I've read so much stuff in the marketing world. It's my little drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish exercise was, but it isn't. Marketing <laughs> is my drug. So I've read like tons of marketing people and am friends with some of them like Brian Kurtz and uh, oh, yeah. Kevin Hogan. So, you know, I I charge by the hour, but at my best, I charge, like, say, doctors pay me 200 an hour. And if, they're, if people are coming to me every week, I have an agreement with them that my fees are very reasonable and I do help out the poor and the middle class with reasonable fees. So I have people who pay me every week, no matter what. So if I'm off at Christmas, they pay me. I give them a makeup session so they're not paying for nothing, but that way I have a more regular salary. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my way of doing it is way better for me than insurance, but it still has the raggedness of, you know, how do you, you know, people view it by the hour and then they, you know, if they're not, uh, you know, if they're not in that much pain, they can easily skip mm-hmm. uh, just saying, you know, I don't need therapy th- this week. I'll see you next week. And they don't know that six other people have said that to me. Mm-hmm. So it's a risky way to make a living. Because of the makeups. Yeah, that, and like you know, it's hard to get it's hard to get people to come every week. Mm-hmm. Now I'm fortunate; I'm I'm a very well trained therapist, and I have a great reputation. So my caseload is almost always full. But if you don't have a full caseload, it's very hard to get clients, um, just because of the nature of the beast. People are mm-hmm. still ashamed to go to therapy to some degree. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me let me just tease out that a little bit. It sounded like you were going to say, and maybe this is what you're implying that you have graduated rates for different income levels. Is that? Yes, I do. Okay. And is it, is it like a band, you know, so there's, so if you're like, how do you, how do you, how do you decide what category people go in or do you let them decide? Um, at the risk of sounding like a dreadful businessman and Dan Kennedy's going to shoot me from Cleveland. <laughs> um, basically it's almost like I let them decide. Mm-hmm. Now my, my major caseload, um, marketing way path is referral word of mouth. So when people come to me, I already trust them because, you know, Fred Smith sent them my way. 
Mm-hmm. So when I say to them, you know, they're usually coming to me and and receiving from the referral source a great recommendation. So when I say to them, you know, my regular fee is a hundred an hour. If you're really wealthy, you can pay me more because when I develop a relationship with you, if you lose your job and have no money, I will still see you. They don't know in brackets. I'm thinking if you've treated me well, you know, <laughs> as much as I can be a masochist with money, I am not a total carpet. So if people treat me well and they run into hard times, I'll still see them. But I'll tell, you know, I almost always have a doctor. Doctors come to see me for therapy and they will pay me 200 an hour gladly because they know I see some of their patients for 75 an hour or 60 an hour. Mm -hmm. So the goodwill leads me to do better financially, uh, though I know I would have made more money through the years if I had just said it's 100 an hour no matter what, or if I had said um, it's 150 an hour no matter what. However, when you, you know, like you well know, if you charge too high a fee, well, it's harder to fill the airplane. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So and that was that was exactly what I was looking for. And then there was another thing you said earlier that was about, you know, so I think you said people, so insurance psychotherapists, there it's by the visit. And yeah. I, okay, so that's kind of like my, I, I, can recall going to a physical therapist after a wonderful snowboarding accident that um, it was like, you know, 75 bucks for an hour and he would torture me and, uh, and he would make recommendations about, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like, ah, you're probably going to need to come for, for six weeks or whatever. And then when you start to feel better, you can stop coming. So it wasn't like an, it, it was kind of like an ongoing thing in the sense that, that, we knew it wasn't going to be a one visit thing. I knew that obviously it wasn't going to be. And then he sort of gave me an idea of how long it would probably take. So it was kind of, it was more like a project because there was a clear end state where my shoulder didn't hurt anymore. So, uh, and, and it was, um, it was a by the visit kind of, kind of thing. So, um, it was, he could have honestly given me a, a, he could have said, Oh, it's going to be, um, 1500 bucks. Uh, and at the end of, at the end of which your shoulder is going to feel better. I would have been like, fine. Okay, here you go. Um, but they just don't break it down that way. They're like, like, here, here's the goal. And here's the, every time you show up, it's going to be 75 bucks, uh, which is, is that, is that model similar to what you experience? Like, do people go through these arcs where they've got a divorce or a death in the family or something they're really struggling with? And, it's not really a chronic problem. It's sort of a localized problem. And then I imagine there are also people who have this chronic issues that they're dealing with and they basically need to come every week or every other week or twice a week, whatever the frequency is, uh, kind of like forever, you know, or, or close to it. Are those, am I guessing correctly about that? Yeah, you're guessing correctly. And in your example of a physical therapist, like I'm actually going to physical therapy this afternoon because I actually have a bone disease and I've, uh, I've had a terrible body all my life. Mm. I've broken 26 bones and right Oof. now I'm recovering from a new knee. But then after I hurt, after I got the new knee, I, it was, it was given to a leg that already had ruptured three Achilles and quad tendons. And after my surgery, I tore my patella tendon. Mm. 
Hmm. Now I do sound like a skateboarder, but I assure you I'm not. But at any rate, I go to one physical therapist and he only takes Medicare. So then he's only allowed to literally touch me for 12 minutes an hour. The rest of the time you're on their own because he's got to see five people in the same hour. Whereas the guy I'm seeing independently, he's 140 an hour cash, mm-hmm. but he it's just me and him for an hour. So the only way I'm going to get better is with elite physical therapy. Mm-hmm. So now the trouble with you know the, the world is, can a, can a physical therapist really promise you that you're going to have a better shoulder when a lot of people might like be like me and not do the work at home? Right. The same way in what I offer people. You know, I've had nights where I've, on one night, I remember I told two couples, they both decided on the same night that they were going to get a divorce. I told both of them, don't make lawyers rich, try to try to manage it yourself before you see a lawyer. The poorest of the couples spent 10,000 bucks on a lawyer getting $600 worth of merchandise evenly distributed. And the other couple spent 1700. So, you know, as I thought about your work, Jonathan, I thought, well, how do I tell people what I'm going to offer them or what what the outcome and value is going to be when it so much depends on what they're going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's always an issue. You know, if you're even if you're just a regular coach, like a like a golfing coach and someone's like, oh, you know, I want to pay you five thousand dollars to get my handicap down to f- five, whatever. I don't really know how to play golf, but. I want, I want to pay you $5,000 to get my handicap down to some number. And the, the, in a scenario like that, where it's, you know, a sport, it's not like something traumatic or, or physically, you know, painful. The coach, the golf coach would take a look at you and say, well, show me your swing and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And how much you're going to commit to working at, you know, it would ask you all these qualifying questions. And then they would say, well, um, you could uh, just to just to make it simple they could they could lump you into one of three categories one hopeless i'm never there's no way i'm going to be able to get your swing down to uh get your handicap down to that number because you've indicated that you're not going to practice that much you've got a terrible swing to begin with uh, you're not really physically capable of doing it for whatever reason so um I can't guarantee I'm going to get your handicap down to five, but you can pay me $75 an hour and, and show up when you want. And I'll, tr- you know, I'll tell you what to do and maybe you'll get better. No promises. Then the far end of the spectrum where they're like, wow, you're built like Tiger Woods. You're an animal. I see you on the course every single day. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'll bet. I'll take that bet. I'll bet that I can get your handicap down and you're currently your handicap is seven. So yeah, I'll take $5,000 to take two points off your handicap and then you, you just do it until it happens, you know, but it's, it, yeah, it's a risk. It might only take two weeks. It might be some simple fixes. Uh, it might take two years and you're going to regret having done it. And then in the middle, there's a level where you could have like a success fee where they pay you 50 bucks an hour instead of 75. So they're getting a discount on the hourly, but there's like a success fee. So if you hit if you do get your handicap down to five, then they get uh, whatever, $3,000. So it's kind of, there's kind of like a hybrid approach. With something like physical therapy or any kind of um, medical, especially physical medical versus like psychotherapy, I'm not really, I haven't really thought about that much, but but in a scenario where you, you're in physical pain 
and the um, and there might be regulations. I, I imagine that there are regulations. I'm pretty sure there are. Uh, certainly, the the medical uh, the AMA would not allow you to guarantee any kind of outcome. I've never heard a doctor guarantee any kind of an outcome, and I, I assume that's not just because they're all enlightened. I assume that there's rules around that. Yeah, you're right. So. You know, I'm not, that's one of the, one of the interesting things, one of the reasons I was excited about having you come on, because when it comes to stuff like that, uh, value pricing is really, can be very tricky because it borders, it can border on extortion in a kind of, we're going to withhold, we have pain relief for you, but we're going to withhold it because you're not agreeing to this price. So for me, value pricing in any kind of like, like medical doctor, I don't, I don't probably not using the right term, but like emergency room doctor, uh, withholding treatment is pretty close to extortion. It's not the same thing, but it's pretty close where extortion being, you know, I'm going to break your kneecaps unless you give me $10,000. If you feel like your kneecaps are broken and this person can help you and them demanding $10,000 for it, it gets into a very sketchy area when it comes to value pricing. And I can imagine a similar scenario with someone who's in, well, needs to come to someone like you because they're in acute mental, emotional pain. Right. And, but I, 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 I love what you're saying about success fee mm-hmm. and also about the risk of extortion. But I think the risk of extortion is actually very subtle. Like, for example, if I know that someone is going to pay me 200 an hour, like I have a, I have a, there's a local doctor who's very prominent in his field. I helped him through a terrible crisis. And since then, not only did he pay me 200 an hour about five years ago, but he also has referred a lot of people to me. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine if he comes into my office for renewed treatment, I am actually going to give him better treatment almost if I don't want to, because of how the relationship has set it up that I feel great about this guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's automatically some level of extortion. If I have one opening and two people called me and one of them pays me a hundred an hour and one of them pays me 50 an hour, guess what I'm going to lean towards despite my background. Right. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people like to think they're not influenced by money. Um, I find it amusing that, you know, all the marketing people I listen to, um, I know, for example, that I'm no different than them. I want money. Um, but just lately, I, I uh, took my name off a lot of subscriptions that I was paying for. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the people and said, sorry, but I'm going to have to spend 1600 a month on physical therapy. And I got to cut expenses. Now, what I find amusing is all these marketers who tell us what's in it for the client. You got to focus on the customer, focus on the customer. Now, I'm not saying what I'm going to say because I'm sucking my thumb and they hurt my feelings. <laughs> but I wrote their, it, them individually and said, I, I have a really bad leg. I tore my patella in this leg. I ruptured three Achilles. And now I have to spend 1600 a month getting better. So I have to unsubscribe from your subscription. And then what do I get back? Maybe a personal letter from the assistant saying, you know, if you're welcome to subscribe again. <laughs> or I get a, a obvious paste, copy and paste letter from the guru. And it's like, you know, in one of them, I'm a knight in his shining armor. Well, the knights lay in, in the bloody in the field. And I guess all you really want is my money. 
because I'm not even getting sorry for your leg. Okay, now I'm no different. You know, money is the currency of our heart. And, you know, I've had to look at the fact that I would, when I was a minister, I would go visit people. And frankly, it's because they paid me. Once I was no longer a minister and just going to church, sitting in the pew, I don't go visit anybody either. (laughs) So I've had to look in the mirror and realize, you know, I'm not looking down on these people, but I at least am frank about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to you? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's that brings us around to the time thing because the the resource time is a funny resource because it it gets used up whether you use it or not. So it's it it's like this um you can't store it in other words. It's not like money. You can store money and you can make money but you can't store or make time. It's going by and everybody's got a limited amount and you don't know how much. And, uh, but you know, but everybody's got the same amount per day. So they have to make decisions about how to allocate that scarce and expiring resource. And it's like the most important thing you can do is, I mean, that's a big statement. It's probably right up there though. One of the most important things you can do is decide how you're going to spend your time. And the, so for the the people who, since you've got this graduated rate, um, for the people who you know can only afford fifty, or someone's coming in, you know, it's a new potentially a new patient. They're coming in, and they can only afford fifty for your time. Uh, what about what about selling something besides your time? You've got years and years and years of expertise, and for folks who can't afford your direct attention. I can imagine lots of ways to leverage your expertise and package it up in different ways. Not value, we're not talking even value pricing yet, but um, just productizing your expertise or creating products like, um, you know, for, for folks who could only afford $25 an hour to, to, to sit with you and you can't, uh, you can't do that for whatever reason, that's not, um, that's not good enough. That's just not enough. Could you create uh, like a group some sort of group therapy or um, some kind of, whether it's in person or online, I'm wondering if there's any kind of regulations against that, you no, know, whatever, whatever the no, governing body a, is. You know, group therapy is a very legitimate field. What you're saying is shows the harm in, in lower rates, because ironically, I, I know, because I've read enough marketing stuff, that I should have upsells and lead magnets and all that. But ironically, and those of you who are younger than me, I'm 67 last week, you can still send a birthday gift. (laughs) Um, At any rate, uh, I actually don't have the time. I'm saying this for those of you who are younger, because what Jonathan's saying is so true. Time is the precious resource. I can see the horizon. And I can see why my therapist was so wise 25 years ago to tell me to up my fees because I'm, because I'm actually giving, you know, you're giving your life away because time is of the essence. So, but I also don't know what do we waste more, time or money? It's probably a race to the bottom or a race to the top. So it's so easy in a way to give away our time. And if you're not charging enough, like I have been known to do, then you don't have the time or the energy to create the the packaging that so desperately needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not complaining. I've written 10 books. I have a, I've done a blog for years, 10 years and a daily thing called the sharp club. That's about living with sharpness. 
And through that package, which I've offered free, and my books, I've I've had very good referral sources. You know, like I can mm-hmm. I can get one of my books called Why Bother. I can buy it on Amazon myself because I'm the author. I can buy it for two dollars and nineteen cents. And when I give it away, you know, it works better than a pen. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, oh, I have had to work lots of extra hours because I haven't charged. It isn't just what I'm worth. What am I worth? Like talk about success fee. Um, what should I charge someone who I am actually going to help them fix their marriage? Mm-hmm. And this is where the hourly thing is crazy. Like, why should I be the one that's like beholden to people every week? Are they going to pay me the hundred? Are they going to pay me the 50? When a lawyer, if a couple walks into a lawyer's office, sorry for any slur on lawyers, but I don't think they care about the well-being of their clients as much as your typical therapist does. And they're the one that can get a five, $5,000 retainer. Hi, give me a $5,000 retainer. It's 500 an hour. It's 125 for a phone call. And I might end up costing you $500,000 in a split kingdom of housing and you know retirement. Whereas if you come to me, I can say, you know, I don't say that. And instead I say, if you want to fix your marriage, I can help you. If you want a divorce, I can help you do it cheaper. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that should be getting the (laughs) $5,000. Maybe people hear bitterness in my voice. That's why you need to send me a birthday present. (laughs) So what about, so you've mentioned a couple of different kinds of issues that you've helped people with. What about well, actually, we were talking about productized service. We were talking about creating leverage. So first, we were talking about uh, a group kind of thing. And that's one thing. And you just mentioned that you have books that people can buy so that you have products. So that's good. Um, the problem with the book, it it's, gives you good, great word of mouth. It's good marketing for you. But then they end up only, you end up only being able to sell your time when they when they come to you. So that's kind of a drag. So it'd be cooler if you had something more leveraged that 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 really excellent marketing piece, the sort of tentpole piece that you have, would draw them to something that was more affordable to them and more profitable to you. So if you imagine like, um, and I know that it, it takes time to create the lever in the first place. So like packaging up your expertise in a, in a way that allows you to resell it to more than one person. Because if you're counseling a, a, a couple that's not helping anybody else. The, the specifics, you know, I mean, the specifics of their situation, you're not going to repurpose that on another couple. The next couple is going to be, you know, you're going to use the same expertise, but it's going to be a from scratch situation. So it's not repeatable really. Right. The, um, the, if, if the book was bringing you, um, generating interest and building trust with people who could then come in and spend 50 bucks a month to attend, uh, a biweekly online uh, folk group, I almost said focus group, uh, 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 what would you call it? Like a group counseling session, group, group therapy, group therapy, then they could spend less money. They could show up or not show up the, the groups going on with or without them. There'd be no makeups. Um, you could probably handle, I don't know how many people could you handle in a, a group therapy session that was specifically devoted to a particular, I don't know, marriage problems or drinking problems or depression or, um, like four to six if it was group therapy if it was a seminar you know as many as the room could hold right and that's another great idea you know like do a seminar on a specific topic uh it sounds like did you say have a daily newsletter yeah i do a daily um a daily 
uh, a daily, I don't know what we call it, a post mm-hmm. called the Sharp Club. And it's about like just short little um, wisdom teaching. Like, you know, it'll just say something like, forgive us our teenage years as we forgive those who teenage against us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I get so that sounds like something that people would stay subscribed to for sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so and then that, I'm actually thinking of now. One of my clients loves my thinking so much. She built me a new website called wow. the Sharp Club, mm-hmm. and she's just a lovely person. She allows me to say her name and her credentials. She worked advertising for NBC Russian Olympics hmm. four years ago or whenever it was maybe 28 million years ago, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm going to do is develop something called the sharp journey where people are going to like send me an evaluation of their life. And then every week I'm going to send them more sharps than the, than the free one mm-hmm. right now it's free. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to do an upgrade by the way, one of the things I think, you know, I don't know if it was Eben Pagan who first came up with telling us all to give free stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I don't agree with that. But on the other hand, how easy for someone not I'm not trying to pick on him, but how easy for multimillionaires to tell poorer people to give away stuff for free when we might, you know, be clinging on for dear life. So now that's a big complex marketing question. What do you give for free and what do you not? I notice on the internet, I think a, a lot more coaches and consultants and writers are actually not given all their stuff away free anymore. I know lots are, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you need to fund the mission somehow, right? So you've got to you got to convert something. You got to convert some of your free people into paid people, or you won't be able to keep showing up every day for everyone. So that's, yeah, that's I, definitely... I remember. I actually know David Allen. You know who he is, right? Sure. Yeah, getting things done. Yeah. So he's a wonderful man. I. I was a friend, a acquaintance on email with him before he got really famous. And I used to send him psychotherapy articles that related to obsessiveness in his field. Mm-hmm. So he always liked me. And I ended up having lunch with him in New York City with him and his wife about five or six years ago. And he wrote a preface for one of my books called Emotional Elegance. Mm-hmm. Advertising, advertising. If you're not going to send me a birthday gift, <laughs> buy my book. So anyway, uh, I asked him, how do you charge good money? And I wanted him to tell me how much he charged per hour, but he didn't. And I didn't have the guts to ask him. But he said, you know, for me to go to do work for the CEO of Ford, I have to be able to afford the plane ticket. Yeah. And to do a great job, I actually have to fly first class because flying first class, I can sit and get ready for the meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, so I never forgot what he said. Yeah, it's true. The other thing is if you're giving away stuff for free, your time, your money, you better make sure that you like the people you're giving it to. Because if you're really talented at what you do, then people are going to want to stay. And it's there's no guarantee they're going to make more money, but you know, they're going to get more time and live. And so now the person that you said $50 an hour for, they're they're not going to be paying a hundred an hour in a year. The odds of that are very right, slim. Right. So if you don't like them, you're really screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, my my fundamental underlying business philosophy is help people you like get what they want. You know, it's like there's life's too short to work with people you don't like. So there's one one thing I want to call out in what you said there, which is um, if you give away 
your time for free. I, I do a daily mailing list and I have for years and I, but I, and I give that away for free. Any insight that I have, I give it away for free on my list. Um, and I, but, but the thing that I do not give away for free is my time. So I'll yeah. give, I'll give expertise away for free, but I will not give time away for free. Now, how did you learn that? So young, I'm 52, so <laughs> not that young, but, um, it's, um, it just seems obvious to me. I, I don't know if I learned. I mean, I'm a, I have a mu- uh, music music background, performing musician, and and I am old enough to remember the days of payola. And the only way to reach a large audience was via radio, and it was crooked as anything. And uh, I despised being stuck behind that gatekeeper or beholden to that gatekeeper. So when the internet came around, I immediately, the day I saw it and understood what it was, I was like, "This is going to change everything." Like, this is great. I can go direct to audience now at scale globally. And it just instantly saw that. And I was like, music's going to be free. They're, you're going to have to pay for something else. You're not going to be able to charge for a, for an audio file anymore. It just, it just seemed obvious to me. Yeah. So like the trade-off was, and, and to be honest, that's what happens on radio too. They're playing your music for, well, it's not for free. There's royalties, but um, it might as well be free. So, so I guess that's where it came from. So like, as I started to switch into, um, software development, I did, I, I wrote code when I was maybe in junior high, uh, because we were uh, one of the rare families that had a computer at home and I really got into it. And I, when I got back into it after my music career, uh, <laughs> I decided to nix that. I was like, geez, I can make a lot more so money. Am I, writing am code. I like dumb and don't, Am I the only guy in the world that doesn't know I'm talking to Bill Gates? <laughs> Hardly. Um, so when I got to when I got to back to um, software, it was right around the time that open source software started to become a thing, which is a super duper web hippie kind of movement, I guess you would call it. And I was just all on board with that. I was all about that. Loved open source. And then when it, when I started um, developing my own stuff, then it was just super fun for me to kind of contribute back to the sort of, um, the corpus of free software. So I think always, it's just always made sense to me to do that. Um, but yeah, you got to carve up, you have to find, you create an audience by sharing all this free stuff and helping them. And you just help all these people at scale, not with time, but with your expertise. So you, you broadcast it to get as huge an audience as you can. And at some point there's going to be 1% of that audience that raises their hand and says, I want to go faster. I don't want to wait for tomorrow's email. I want to talk to you directly. I want you to answer my specific question. I want you to show me how to implement this idea that you just emailed me about. And that that's when it becomes, uh, that's how you can fund it to keep showing up every day for the rest of the people who can't afford it. And if you have, if you have even one, you say, let's just say at the very beginning, you've got a large audience of people that virtually none of them can afford you because the only thing you sell is this really high end expensive value price project. In my world, it would be like a custom software build, probably take nine to 12 months, probably cost, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, so not a lot of people can afford that. Um, and over time, but if that's just a starting point, so over time you can fill in the gaps between free and super expensive with uh, items at price points that make sense for the kind of people who are in your audience. So, you know, group therapy would be one thing. 
the book is another thing, assuming it's, you know, you, yeah, it's on Amazon, you said, so they have to buy it. So that's the very low end of your product ladder, I would call it. You could have ad hoc, eh, I probably wouldn't do this, but you could have ad hoc one-on-one phone calls that are, that are like, let's say the book's, let's say the book's 50 bucks and uh, you've got a phone call you do for 500 bucks and you've got some sort of marriage counseling session project type of thing, because that's going to have a, that's not going to go on forever. I would imagine a, a marriage counseling things probably got a, an expiration date on it. Right. Like no, definitely because you know, it's hard to get one person motivated, let alone two. Right. Like I'm a trained family therapist mm-hmm. and I have a good reputation. I can count on, I almost can count on one hand the number of families I've seen where I've seen whole intact families. Cause you just imagine trying to get a teenager to go two teenage, two teenagers to go no. mother and father. Right. So yeah, pro- marriage would be more linked to projects because one of them usually will bow out sooner. Right. So you, so you could have like a productized service that's five. I'm, what I'm doing is like, I'm imagining a product ladder for you. So the book info product thing run 50 bucks. Maybe you bundle a couple of videos with the book. If they want to buy a higher tier, it makes sense to spend 50 bucks on it. $500 for some kind of one-off call, or if you don't want to do one-off calls, like, because you think they're just totally ineffective, um, you could do, you could do some kind of video, something or other at a, say a $500 price point for people who can't afford, um, say, uh, oh, I don't know. You could have like a marriage counseling, do it yourself. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to come up with something that you could do on a video basis that was pre-recorded and people could just buy over and over again. Uh, five thousand dollar level could be like a marriage counseling thing. Like, uh, you know, are you, are you one or both of you talking about divorce for five thousand bucks? We'll see if you really need to really need to do that, or if there's a way to avoid, you know, giving fifty thousand dollars to a bunch of lawyers. And then at a at a project level, fifty thousand dollar level, and this this gets back to the specific question that um, you emailed me about um, value pricing, which was your question. Um, well, actually your question was, how do you think, uh, about hourly billing, how it relates to psychotherapy? So if, if you were going to do large projects that were going to be worth like 50 grand and up, is it, is it ethical in your space to come up with a, to present yourself as more of a coach to, you know, like you mentioned the CEO of Ford. So the CEO of Ford or someone like that is going to have quite a bit of buying power and they are going to probably a some segment of them is going to desire something very much. There's going to be something that they desire very much that you're capable of providing. And if, if you multiply those two things together, you can, you can set a very high fee that is perfectly acceptable to the buyer, as long as the availability of options in their mind is not great. So if, if CEO of Ford Motor Company is desperate for you, or let's say Jeff Bezos, right? He had a very public divorce recently and lost like what, a trillion dollars or whatever. Yeah. So let's say you could not promise, but let's say that they, that folks like that trusted you to save marriages or at least uh, avoid costly divorces, whichever way you want to look at it. And they didn't, and, and they, okay. So they're like, okay, yeah, this person is capable of doing that. They're going to pay quite a bit of money for that, um, assuming that they don't perceive there to be lots of other options that are less expensive that would do the same thing as far as they're concerned. 
So if you could right. differentiate yourself as kind of like the the CEO divorce avoider guy, then and you were the only one, like you were the famous for that, then or the only per, not the obviously you're not the only marriage counselor out there, but if you were famous as the go-to guy for that specifically and you were getting calls from you know, these philandering CEOs who are looking for a Hail Mary that's going to save them half a billion dollars, you could easily charge $50,000 for that if you could demonstrate, you know, if you could demonstrate results, you know, positive outcomes, or at least positive ROI on the investment. Right. Um, I, I agree with you. And, you know, it's, you can't ethically as a therapist promise results. But the more, like you say, I differentiate myself as the psychotherapist who knows English literature, theology, religion, marketing, um, and has done 60,000 hours of therapy. And if you tell me anything and I haven't heard something worse in the same area, I'll give you 500 bucks. You know, I have a way of differentiating. But I think what holds someone like me back, and I wanted you to address it, is fear and um, I wanted to tell your, your listeners that, uh, like someone like me has had to learn that <clears throat> I'm, I'm afraid to let my light shine as much as people want me to. Like when I've done seminars, people have gotten mad at me that I'm not more well-known. <laughs> <clears throat> and, um, what, here's what I've learned through the years. As I've said, my fee is a hundred dollars or you know, years ago, the highest fee was 40. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years or more. Mm-hmm. Not once, not once has anyone ever said, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And and here's how I've screwed myself. As the FBI negotiating team says, the person who opens their mouth first loses. Well, I've opened my mouth before I, I'll say my fee is 100 an hour, and then I'll start talking and say, but if you can't afford it, I can pay for your kid's college education. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So I really wanted to get that point across that, you know, I think fear is the big thing that stops us from valuing our time, our money, and what we offer. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it's love for the client that might get us to be more, to be braver. The other thing I figured out that I wanted to say is it took me years to realize that the, now I'm, I could be wrong in this, which is why I'm telling you, Jonathan, because I want mm-hmm. you to correct me. Mm-hmm. But I really think the big problem is not self-respect. It's what I call other respect. And here's what I mean. What's the most, you, you know, Dan Kennedy has the line that the most you should charge is what you can say without your own mouth dropping open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, what what would you say is the most you can charge if you were doing per hour? What's the most you could charge without your own falling off your own chair? Me? Yeah. Uh, when I was doing consulting, the most I could have charged by the the last time I charged by the hour, the most I could have charged and it would be t- maybe two hundred fifty dollars an hour. Like that's yeah. the problem with hourly is it hits a ceiling really fast. Right. But here's what I found out. I was at a mastermind group with Brian Kurtz years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, afterwards, I was talking to one of the copywriters um, and I said to her, because I'd already figured this out. I said, I think Brian charges a thousand an hour without batting an eye. What's the most she could charge? And mm-hmm. she told me like a hundred an hour. 
So I said to her this, I said, this is a game, but I said, how about, and I took $300 out of my wallet. I said, how about I pay you 300 an hour to be my copywriter? Would you do it? Now this was a game. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh yeah, sure. I'll take your 300. And then I said, so the real problem is not self-respect. It's we can't believe that others will do for us what we want. Yeah. So I learned like, wow, if I shut my mouth, get out of my own way, maybe people will treat me better than I fear they're gonna. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, principle. I don't know if it's a principle is the right word for it, but a phenomenon, I guess, is a better word called selling to your own wallet. Are you familiar with this? I uh, love the phrase. No, I'm not. Yeah, so the the... I have an article about it where I, I describe a scenario uh, where, you know, again, let's use Jeff Bezos. Now let's use someone not famous. So, so, so billionaire walks into a Tiffany's right jewelry store and goes up to the, the clerk, let's call her Alice. Alice works there. She makes $10 an hour. Um, she drives a broken down car. You know, she's just, she's not wealthy. And here comes this guy where money is no object. And he says, oh, I want to buy a 20th anniversary gift for my wife. I'm thinking about this necklace right here. She, and it's $20,000. And she's and she's like aghast that someone would waste that much money on a necklace when this $5,000 one is really, it's just as good. And the problem, it's, and, and the, the wild thing about this is that the guy has already decided that he's going to spend $20,000 on something. And she's talking him out of it because she thinks it's crazy for anybody to spend that much money on a piece of jewelry or probably anything. And the issue is, and, and interestingly, her trying to talk him out of it is extremely distasteful to him. It's the exact opposite. She thinks she's helping, but she's really selling herself. She's, she's treating him like her. So she's placing her values on him. So it's actually kind of rude. Right. Um, so... I think selling, I think there's a little bit of selling to your own wallet in there where you can't imagine that anybody would, there's a difference between being able to say a number with a straight face and believing that someone would pay it. I think it's two different things. Right. So there's, there's the, um, I can't imagine somebody paying $50,000 for my coaching program, but actually I can, but it's harder for me. <laughs> there's a difference between n- not wanting to present yourself to the world in that way versus not believing that you could get it. You know what I mean? Yes. It's two different things because setting your pricing is a very, very strong marketing signal and it, it projects a lot. And if you're not comfortable projecting that, then you're going to, even if people would buy it, even if you're reasonably certain people would buy it, it makes you uncomfortable. So it could be two different things going on there um, psychologically. But I mean, yes. you're, you're the therapist. <laughs> oh yeah, they're, they're two different things. Um and one is like what you said, I would view the, the saleswoman in your example as unwittingly rude, not deliberately. Of course. Mm-hmm. Actually uh, trying to be kind. She's trying to, but she's not, she's, it, I would say that's a serious lack of empathy. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to be, have a serious lack of empathy on the higher ranges of money, maybe even more, more than the lower ranges of money. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so what was the, there's another thing that came up there. Let's see. You, uh, oh, the other thing was, um, when you were playing that, that ex- when you did that exercise, you were playing that game with the copywriter. Um, of course, like my, my neck goes up when you even playing that game on an hourly basis doesn't make a ton of sense. 
because oh, see, I'm trying to get you unconsciously so you'll be so disturbed <laughs> at the end of the call that you'll want to pay me the value I'm worth. <laughs> well, so the what some things you know I I use the phrase you know get paid what you're worth on some of my marketing materials because I know that resonates with people. But but no one's time's necessarily worth anything to somebody else. Someone's time is worth it's almost priceless to them to them personally even though they'll give it away for free still it's a it's a thing that if they choose to give it away that's up to them but it's it's always going to be worth um the most to the person who's selling it so like my time or, or yeah it's going to have a number so somebody will, like you or me like eh, i'm not going to get out of bed for less than 500 dollars an hour something like that that does not mean just because i believe that i'm worth 500 dollars an hour does not mean that anybody else believes it. So what I'm worth, what an hour of my time is worth, or anything that I sell, or anything that anyone sells, what it's worth, there is no intrinsic, it's not an intrinsic property of the product or service. It's something that exists in the mind of the potential buyer. So if they don't perceive that my time is worth $500 an hour, no one's gonna pay it to me, or they don't perceive that the pricing seminar is worth 745 bucks, they're not gonna pay it. Even if I think they're nuts or I could point to, but I put all this work into it and this is years of expertise and I package it all up. So it's, it's, uh, most effective and, and, and it's worth $745. Well, no, it's not. If the person does not perceive the value, like the value exists, what, what something is worth and the value exists in somebody else's mind. It's not a property of the product or service. So creating that perception is the key to uh, unlocking higher and higher prices. And if we bring it back to the example of, of you know, you doing uh, marriage rescues for corporate executives and you're, you're perceived as the go-to person for this, like you're the only one that's famous for it and you're getting word of mouth referrals. Like you said, you already get lots of word of mouth referrals. Well, imagine if the people sharing the referrals were all making seven figures a year as some corporate executive. Right. Well, I'm very fortunate in many ways, I, although I don't sound like it about my body. Um, w when I started being a therapist, I lived in Pauling, New York. Where do you live, by the way? Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. So um, one of the 10th wealthiest man in the world lived in Pauling. His mm -hmm. name was Bill Ziff. And I ended up seeing a lot of his high up people. Mm -hmm. And so they were not only well off but they were brilliant and then my word of mouth referrals was just from people at an elite level like mm -hmm. intellectually and financially mm -hmm. and like i was just so fortunate um and you know i think for your listeners a lot of uh, a lot of our success is is luck um which can keep us humble mm -hmm. you know i i probably survived financially because of the bill zip world hmm. interesting so, you know, how, how much is your story? If, you know, if I knew it better, it would be, wow, you, you know, what, what is it that you, you learned? How did you learn that time was so valuable? It's not like it, everybody your age knows it. Yeah, that's true. That's why, <laughs> that's why I have a job. So, uh, anyway, um, here's a question. So when you were, when you were working in that circle, or maybe you still are, but when you were, you're getting the Ziff referrals, let's call them. Were you still charging by the hour for like one-off sessions? Is that the... Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've always charged by the hour. Yeah. So if I were going to give you some advice, it, it might be to imagine 
putting together some uh, projects and productized services and perhaps some more info products that are a little bit more um, where the expectation is that they'd be a little bit more expensive. Like maybe, maybe you do one. you said you did seminars and they were very well received. Maybe you sell recordings of seminars. Uh, maybe it's just audio recordings. It could be video. Um, but if you put together some productized services or fixed price services, like, you know, marriage rescue or something like that, or, uh, or at the, at the high level, some kind of, of project that, you could value price with the wealthiest people. I mean, the more wealthy people, imagine if you got one one project with a high-flying CEO that you know was gonna net you 50 grand for maybe an hour a week for six months. Now imagine how you could take that sort of largesse and do more for the lower end of the market, create more products for them, or uh, I wouldn't give away more time to them, but, or you could, you could volunteer, you could do those sorts of things, but you could package up things that are are at really, really inexpensive price points that will help these people, not as much as meeting with you individually, but help them nonetheless and get them into a a better place. Um, I could also imagine you doing advisory retainers with high-end clients for five, $10,000 a month, where you're essentially on call for phone calls, not in-person meetings. Maybe you have occasional in-person meetings when you know coronavirus is someday gone. Um, but but by and large, it's it's uh, access to your expertise while they're going through some sort of situation. Maybe it's a divorce, whatever it is, empty nest. It could be you know I, I keep I hate to keep focusing on divorce because it's such a bummer. But you know maybe there maybe there's uh, opportunities that they're trying to unlock that they need your assistance with to help them get them to the next level, get them unstuck. Maybe it's sort of a, a, uh, an aspirational engagement, or maybe it's, um, an expensive problem kind of engagement where they're just really wrestling with something and it's, and, and they need to be able to pick up the phone and get in touch with you, or at least leave you a voicemail and have you call them back on a, in an ad hoc basis, not for like an hour long meeting, but you know, for like, uh, I've got this question, I've got this situation. How would you deal with it? Maybe it's, maybe it's a partner in their company. Maybe they're splitting up with their business partner and they, they don't want it to turn into a giant fight and they'll pay you five ten thousand $10,000 a month to keep you on speed dial so that they don't accidentally escalate an already uncomfortable situation. So you become their sounding board there. And I'm just making things up, but uh, I, I can imagine that it would be pretty easy to make the case for those prices with that kind of an audience if you're getting testimonials and referrals from other people that are in their space. So if somebody says, if somebody's, you know, high flying CEO says to a colleague who's going through a nasty business partner breakup, you got to talk to Bob. He's expensive, but it's worth it. Yeah. He's, Um, he's not going to expect you to say it's a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. I, 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 I adore your thinking. I think it's so right. And you know, what you, where you're saying, like, if I get 50 grand from, Jeff Bezos for five minutes of my time, then I can really help people in the lower end. It's the same intellectually. Like what I've discovered is by I've had a lot of clients who are well off and they're very bright, capable people. And what they teach me, you know, I give to others, you know, who don't operate at such a high level. The most, the most efficient man I ever dealt with uh, was in the Bill Ziff world. And like, he taught me stuff that I passed on to people 
who were at a much lower economic threshold or psychological or intellectual threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, it is the wealth, it's a varied wealth that we can pass on. Yeah. I, I yeah. Agreed. There's a trickle down effect. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> now I, I, I think there's, you have a couple of ingredients that make me believe that there's a lot of value that is unlocked, that is, that is there to be unlocked, that is currently locked up because you're offering variable rates on your time. So I, the, the trick is you still want to be able to serve that end of the market, but you need to have the high end of the market fund it a little bit more, a little bit better. Um, so by creating leverage, either through repeatable um, productized services that you get better at over time, or if, it, if you create like one-to-many leverage with group therapy, or if you sell info products that sell while you sleep, and once they're created, don't take any more of your time, uh, there's no touch delivery. And then you get some advisory retainers. It, I, I really feel like the most obvious fit, I don't know if it's feasible, but the most obvious fit would be have some kind of advisory retainers when a wealthy, when a wealthy type of individual is in a particular kind of distress. So they've got some urgent issue. It can't wait. It's going to happen one way or another by the end of the year. You know what I mean? It's like something imminent. It's not something that they can put off and they need to have a sounding board that they trust to give them good advice and your your name is the one on everyone all of their friends lips then that would give you a ton of leverage uh, because you know they'd say well what's your hourly rate be like i don't have one you can call me 24 7 7 you know seven days a week 365 days a year it's ten thousand dollars a month and you know i'll get back to you within if you don't get me on the first ring then i'll get back to you within 90 minutes during business hours so that is an insurance policy for that person it doesn't guarantee results or outcomes but you know it's it's going to be very valuable to the right kind of person who's going through this whatever the dis, the distress is whatever the situation is yeah i've actually thought of um, doing something like mental health 911 and writing like top-notch executives and saying is there something in your life that you think you might implode like and then name them tiger woods uh you know etc cetera, etc cetera. And I can hear anything you tell me. I will judge you, but not in a way that hurts you. And I will help you see where this is going to lead. And it's too bad Roger Ailes didn't get to me. Too yep. bad Bill Cosby didn't. Yep. Just imagine what that's worth. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I'd be very, I've, I've thought of doing that because my, you know, I've heard it all in my world and uh, I can sit in my chair and talk calmly with people who are heading for a cliff. Right. And I'm yeah. not a whacked out liberal therapist who's just going to say, you know, how do you feel or mm-hmm. say nothing. Mm-hmm. The British psychoanalysts that were trained after Freud were very trained to keep their mouth shut. Mm-hmm. But there was one of them. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he was in Britain and he, when people were, when his clients were really going to show up, even he would say, Merciful God, what will come of that? <laughs> oh, I um, think that that's a selling point. I think I think people like this who, uh, you know, like folks you worked with, I'm sure you found that these high-performing individuals, they probably are surrounded by sycophants and yes-men and would absolutely crave someone to give it to them straight. Yeah, yeah. Great, solved. <laughs> <laughs> 
So now all you have to do is position yourself that way as the go-to person for that, which obviously is easy, easier said than done, but that would be, um, it, I mean, it sounds like you've got, oh, that's what I was saying. You, you've got all the puzzle pieces to pull that off though, because you've got the street cred, you've got the connections, you've got the positive feedback, um, testimonials, if you will, you've got books, you've got a daily list, uh, you've got everything you'd need. It's just a question of focusing your intent for, you know, three to six months on networking into that space or back into that space with a new offering and say, I've got this. To, I, I'm not sure I love the 911 angle, but but the the name, but I like the, the concept. Yeah. yeah, I don't love the name. Yeah. But if you, the concept is you're in a particular, are you in this particular situation? And people who say heck yes to that, are going to be interested in it. I, I wouldn't say just like, oh, if you have any kind of mental health issues you want to talk to me about. No, I, I think it'd be more effective uh, initially to focus on a specific situation. Are you having a falling out with your business partner or falling out with your spouse? Or do, uh, are you, do you predict that you're going to be facing a very public scandal in the next three months? You know, things like that. Things that are going to make somebody's eyebrows shoot up their forehead and be like, Oh, wow. I can't believe someone exists that is specifically designed to help me with this problem uh, that I, that I'm facing. Yeah. And that's going to make the phone ring. Yeah. I've had top notch executives come to my office and say, I'm thinking of doing this with my secretary. What do you think? <laughs> and I've told them, I think you'll have fun, but you won't like yourself in the morning. And if your wife ever finds out it's over. Yeah. You know, and the guys, you know, that, the person I'm thinking of remembered. I mean, when they left, they said, thank you. I knew you'd say that, but I needed to hear it. Yeah, yeah. But he knows I didn't look down on him, you know. Right. Yeah, I think this is what will happen. It's not like you pig or whatever. Yeah. I'll tell you a really beautiful thing that happened to me, and so many good things have happened to me, that, um, you know, I should have been president and not Donald Trump. If you <laughs> like him, no offense if you don't. Uh, we'll see what history does, but <clears throat> I've had a lot of good things happen to me in a lot of beautiful moments. One of them was about a year and a half ago. I phoned a life coach named Rhonda Britton and paid. She was at the time charging 800 an hour, but she did a 50% discount on this day because it was the 40th anniversary of her father killing herself, killing himself and her mother in front of him. Oh, and she had finally forgiven them both and decided to do half off her coaching rate. And I decided to do it, which was $200 for half an hour, because I just wanted to tell her, bravo for you for becoming a famous, very talented fear coach. Mm. And you had that kind of background. Now it took her, she spent 20 years, you know, medicating herself and then decided that wasn't working. And at 37 became a life coach. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I, I phoned her and I didn't prepare for the call because all I wanted to do was thank her for the story and bravo. Mm -hmm. Well, she said to me, well, look, I don't want you paying $200 for nothing. So tell me what you're afraid of. And she said, I said, well, I don't know. And I didn't even prepare. And she said, well, you know, you're scared of something. <laughs> I said, okay, uh, I'm scared to let my light shine more. And she said, oh, okay. And I, I said, I'm scared to like, like play in a bigger arena. And she said to me, I, I looked at your website before I talked to you and it looks like you 
you know Kevin Hogan and you've been around the block. Uh, and it looks like you sort of believe in God, but not cheaply and easily like everybody. It looks like you believe in God, but you, you were a philosophy major, so it's not easy. But do you believe in God? And I said, yeah, I still do. And she said, well, then the real deal is it isn't up to you whether you get big. What's up to you is are you going to take the next step? And then it's up to something bigger to see if you make it bigger. Now, that was a beautiful moment. I told her it was worth the $200 and more. I guess that might was my unconscious preparing for you talking to you. But, uh, you know, that's, that is the real trick. I think with all of this, it's, are we going to take the next step and, or is fear mainly going to stop us? Hmm. I guess we need to wrap up, but I'll leave it. I'll leave it with, uh, a comment that I have found works with people who seem like they're in a similar situation. I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but, withholding so keeping that light inside withholding that is kind it it can help to think of it as stealing from the people who need it so if you are um, afraid to do that it's not just affecting you it's affecting all the people who you could be helping right so if you really wanted to uh, sort of pull this lever all the way to the pain position it's kind of like you're harming them because you know you could help but you're chicken so yeah. sometimes that gets people moving. And another thing that's related. That's very well put. You know, I've heard the thought before, but it's very well put. Cool. Um, and the other thing that um, you'll, you'll never help all the people that you could, you'll never make the impact that you want to make. So here's the other thing that, that helps people. This is something that helps people with stage fright usually. So a lot of people, a lot of times um, they have the thing I'll recommend for people who are trying to grow an authority business or an expertise based business like yours. Uh, they need to speak and they need to write. They need to speak and they need to write. They need to constantly do those two things. And by speak, it could be a podcast or a YouTube channel, or it could be meetups or conferences, or whatever, but they have to be speaking and they have to be writing, whether it's a blog or a mailing list or a column, whatever books. And they'll get stage fright of either one of those things. Like they're afraid to write. They're afraid to uh, speak, especially speak though. People getting up, getting up in front of people in like normal times is terrifying to some people. If you have a mission, if you're, if you're just trying to make more money and make your bank account, like have a higher number in it, then that's not a great motivator. But if you're on a mission, if you can sort of, if you can sort of look back over all the stuff you've done and what you care about. I mean, in general, not you specifically, but in general, if, if one can figure out what the mission is that they're on or what the purpose is or the big idea and you, you, it can give you courage in those moments when you don't want to put yourself on the line, when you don't want to take that next step or do the risky thing, it gives you courage because it's not about you. It's about the mission. And yes, I, you know, I don't want to go you know, let's use a Jehovah's Witness example. I don't want to go knock on that person's door. They're, I know they're probably going to slam the door in my face. I, I know it's going to be uncomfortable for everyone, but I'm going to do it anyway. Not brave, but courageous, acting in spite of fear, not lack of fear, but acting in spite of fear. I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to go knock on that door because it's not about me. It's about the mission. So if you, Bob, can distill all of this life experience into you know, a, a better epitaph than I was just getting the hang of it, <laughs> then that could, that could get you unstuck. That could be like, I really don't want to take this step. I know I don't. And then you just dance with that as Seth Godin would say, just be like, this fear is not going to go away. 
if I run marathons, I'm not, it's like, I can't teach you how to run a marathon and not get tired. You're going to get tired. I can't teach you how to change the world without getting scared. You're going to get scared, but you have to figure out something that will motivate you to act anyway. And, you know, a mission is the best approach I've seen to, to, to that. Um, it's well put as well. Cool. All right. Well, hopefully you've gotten a couple of good ideas along the way. Hopefully you can maybe take that next step or at least stop, you know, maybe find a way to serve the lower end of your market in a way with, with a little more leverage so you could have a bigger impact and help more people than you can at, you know, like $50 an hour, onesie twosie things. Oh, I definitely got lots of stuff. I was trying very much to help your audience. And I think you tried harder to give me stuff than I was trying to get it. I was trying to help your audience, but hey, maybe I'm d doing therapy for your audience. No, <laughs> I found you very helpful. And, you know, you're very articulate in what you said. You know, it, it's uh, revolutionary. And my, my therapist did tell me that uh, I told him uh, I was getting a little better. And he said, you don't need to get a little better. You need a revolution. <laughs> so uh, maybe you're, you're my therapist reincarnated. <laughs> Jeez. perhaps who knows doesn't feel like my strong suit but if the results speak for themselves i'll take it um okay folks well where can where can people find out more maybe sign up for what sounds like a hilarious and beneficial mailing list the sharps what is it sharps daily no the sharp they can go to my new website called the sharp club.com cool the the email the this the banner that says um sign up here comes up too quickly we're we're in a soft launch now mm -hmm. so uh that comes up too quickly but sign your name and go back to the website and you'll see who you're dealing with cool that sounds great well go sign you. up right now at you it sounds like those the kinds of insights that make you laugh and also change the way you think about things which is my favorite yeah it's it's funny now and then um i'm i think i'm funnier in person than as a writer but there's some good humor there <laughs> okay well, the right. woman who uh, did my website, mm -hmm. she, one of my blogs, she sent me a picture, like, you know, what therapy is about is people are living in a really small world and you're trying to take them to a bigger world. Hmm. And my, she, she did a picture for me where she showed a couple in the water and coming at them is what looks like an alligator. And the man is yelling at the wife, alligator, and the woman's yelling at the man, crocodile. And, you know, she wrote the thing lost in the details. So, you know, that's a funny thing. That's, that'll be on my website too. Uh, there you go. All right. Well, this has been a real pleasure, Bob. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to listen to someone so intelligent. Oh, thanks. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time. Or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.